Quality sleep is essential. That's why the Sleep Number Smart Bed is designed for your ever-evolving sleep needs. Need a bed that's firmer or softer on either side? Helps you sleep at a comfortable temperature? Sleep Number Smart Beds let you individualize your comfort, so you sleep better together. J.D. Power ranks Sleep Number number one in customer satisfaction with mattresses purchased in-store. And now, save 50% on the Sleep Number Limited Edition Smart Bed for a limited time. For J.D. Power 2023 award information, visit jdpower.com awards. Only at a Sleep Number store or sleepnumber.com. The Premier League All Access podcast is proud to be brought to you by Ladbrokes. Stay ahead of all the big games in the best league in the world, the Premier League. With the latest odds, form guides, expert opinions and more, the fans are the players at Ladbrokes. Are you in? Let's go. Play at ladbrokes.com, 18plusbegambleaware.org. T's and C's apply. Hello and welcome to the Game Day podcast from TalkSport with me, Sam Mazaface, Alex Crook and FA Cup royalty. King Scott Minto. Coming up, FA Cup semi-final weekend. Uh, poor old Manchester United going to get dumped out of two cups in four days. That's not going to be good news for Crook. Um, <laughs> it's not really going to happen. You never know. Things things could get brighter by the weekend. Uh, we'll have a recap of the uh, week's European football, including some stern words from Thiago Silva following Chelsea's limp exit and our usual preview of all the weekend's Premier League action as well. It's the Game Day podcast from TalkSport. Ah, yes, it is uh, Friday morning. Crook's wearing his football shirt Friday, which is good because we're all wearing football shirts for Football Shirt Friday to support the Bobby Moore fun. Crook's wearing a uh, shirt from yesteryear when things were a little bit brighter. He's in a mood this morning, Scott. He's in a mood. He's in a mood. Sam, Sam, I've got, I mean, two things. One thing I'd say, well, three things, actually. One, it's great to be back. Yes, it is. Great um, to have you two, back. Did you go on holiday? You didn't tell us about that. I, I did. No, I did not tell you about the holiday. No. I'll send you a, a 500 page essay oh, on great, uh, yeah. my time. More photos Phuket. as well. We didn't get enough I, of those. Well, you, no, you didn't get any of them. Well, you got one photo. But I'm looking at my window now. It's grey. It's wet. It's murky. It's not Phuket, I have to say. Yeah, right. um, the other thing I was going to say was he, he's. I'm surprised he's actually still wearing a Manchester United shirt. You know, that's someone who yeah. clearly feels like he wants to support a team that's bang in trouble at the moment. And we'll talk about, obviously, the game at the weekend. <laughs> Ooh, I want to know which team he's supporting at the weekend because he's become a Brighton fan now. Because you know what he said to me the other day, don't you? He said to me, if Brighton beat them, I will be a little bit happy for them. He actually said that. That's called reverse psychology. I heard, I do listen, I do listen to the podcast when I'm not on. His argument was he said 1%. I think it was a little bit more than that. I think it will be a little bit more than that because what he'll do is, because as you know, he always likes to jump off the horse and back the, the one that he thinks he's going to win just at the right moment. So by the time we get to Monday, he'll be going, seagulls, seagulls, seagulls. Absolutely. Uh, Crook, what happened last night? Well, what happened was... What happens when you have to pick Harry Maguire and Victor Lindelof as your central defenders? All chaos breaks loose. Listen, I know De Gea takes a share of the blame as well. No Bruno Fernandes. And I think the people who've been criticising him and questioning his role as United captain will be piping down this morning because he showed how important he is for that team. But I feel for Eric Ten Hag because it basically is a step back to last season and we all know what happened there. And So so can I ask you a question, the immortal question, is it the Glazers' fault? Of course it is. Lack of investment, <laughs> lack of squad depth and all of a sudden, you know, roll out Maguire, roll out Lindelof and you start looking When De Gea rubbish. plays the ball out into a congested area on the edge of the penalty area, are you thinking, Joel Glazer, you're so out of it? He's just not good enough, Maguire. I mean, I, I did ask the question with Matt Holland leaving West Ham. Luckily, I it's didn't. It's David De Gea's fault. <laughs> yeah, but if you're... Uh, Scott will know this. As a goalkeeper, you're only as good as the trust that you put in the defenders in front of you. Why is it that De Gea seems no, to make these clangers when he's got Maguire and Lind- Lindelof protecting his goal? His feet aren't good enough. No, they're Scott, not. He shouldn't have played it out. Crookie. Crookie, look, look, let me tell you. I mean, I, I was working on the Juventus sporting game or sporting Juventus game last night, but I saw the goal at half time and and my immediate reaction was Harry Maguire is going to get all the stick but you cannot play that ball to him in that situation Absolutely. David De Gea is a great shot stopper but he's not an Eric Ten Hag goalkeeper and I'm fascinated to see what he's going to do with him next season yeah well, or if he does do anything with him next season of course um, it could be that he ends up leaving in the summer um it was a poor performance from Manchester United 
And I think there's a, a little bit of a track record here of big away mm-hmm. games and unfortunately not performing. And I don't think you can just blame that on squad depth because that's happened with different personnel over the course of the season. Look at the Manchester United game, the Newcastle game. Now this big game as well. You know, they, they melt in the heat of those big away atmospheres. And I think that's something that Eric Ten Hag has certainly got to look and at. And that's a problem for Wembley because this is effectively an away game against a very good side. Brighton are going to be well up for it. Their fans are going to be invested. And I fear for United. I feared for United before midweek. I thought they'd beat Sevilla and lose to Brighton. The fact they've managed to crash out the first cup, some people will say, well, beware a wounded animal. I don't see it like that. If we've got the same options at the back, I think Brighton could run right at Wembley. I, could, I think it would be a convincing win for the Seagulls. So is that what we think? We think that Varane is not going to be back for the weekend. Do we think that it's going to be Lindelof and Maguire? I mean, there's no chance of Martinez coming back. Obviously, he's just undergone surgery, so he's not available now until the uh, early part of next season. This is going to be the back four, isn't it? Or, or very similar to that? I'd go Luke Shaw, left-sided centre-back. Yeah. That might make sense, actually. Um, is, is there an argument to got to change change it up and be a little bit emergency and go three at the back? I, I don't think so. I think he's he hasn't played. Has he played three at the back at all this season? Um, oh, I'm not so sure. Not really, so. no. I, I, no. Oh, yeah, he did do once. He played Luke Shaw left side of a back three, I think, earlier in the season. Right. No, I I, I think Crookie's probably right. Look, I, I I think Harry Maguire is an easy target, and we'll come on to another easy target You're later rubbish. as well in, in Frank Lampard and. People, people jump it's on. Not rubbish. He was one of our best he is players. There's no rubbish. way that Maguire is rubbish. He's not rubbish. No, I'm sorry. I'm not having this because you do this all the time. No, you just go around I. getting out your big Uzi and saying, he's rubbish, he's rubbish, he's rubbish. To get to the stage of being a professional footballer, you certainly aren't rubbish. To get to the stage of playing for Manchester United in England, you aren't rubbish. He might be out of form. He might not be the type of central defender that they require at this moment he's mentally in time. Weak. But he's not rubbish. Okay, well, you can say that. He's not okay. mentally weak. That's one thing he's not. I mean, the last two major tournaments for his country, everyone's not wanted him in the side and he's come away with being one of our best players. Now, what he does need is, because he's not easy on the eye, he's not quick and, 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 and sort of athletic and overly mobile, he needs someone alongside him who is that. And, you, you know, if you're going to have a Maguire, you don't have a Lindelof alongside. So at the moment, that's, sort of, that's all they can do. But... I can see you pulling faces, Crookie, well, but I clearly think he also knows say, that last year when they had their, their troubles, the best time that they, the best defence that they had statistically was Varane and Maguire because those two worked together the best. Yeah. Now, obviously, Martinez has upgraded that because he's a better footballer than Maguire, but Maguire is not rubbish. And just to go around saying he is, this, it's not going to help anyone either, by the way. You're not helping him out by, by saying that and picking on him. He's only going to get put more pressure on the lad going into what is a huge, it's just huge not game. true, Sam. Not true. It's just it not true. true. It's as simple as that. He makes it's mistakes. A, it's a and bitter he... fan. Yeah, yeah. Well, very bitter actually. Yeah. I think That's it's why. a bitter fan who's got a lot of anger inside him. He has got. Let's, a... let's get him on the couch one day. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> I'll tell you the other one, and and I think it would be a chaise long. The, the other one who's massively <laughs> underwhelmed and underperformed, and I do wonder where he goes from here. Jaden Sancho. I, I, I'm I'm still waiting to see it. Kev Hatchard tells us what a good player he is. He's the slowest winger I've ever seen. He can't really play in that number 10 role because he's not got the ability, doesn't score enough goals, doesn't make enough goals. What does he actually do, Jaden Sancho? What is he? Um, he might be that rapper, Dida, who's uh, come out over the course of the last uh, few weeks, a Premier League footballer who is uh, recording records and getting uh, songs in the charts, but no one knows who it is because he wears a mask. Maybe that's him. I don't know. Hidden talents and all that. It's got to be someone. Um, look, look yeah. the weekend's going to be tough. We'll talk about it in just a second in terms of uh, how we think it's going to pan out. You went to the London Stadium as well to see West Ham, uh, Crook, didn't you? Yeah. Um, thumbs up performance from uh, David Moyes, right? Eventually, yeah. They started like a train. Ghent scored against the runner play and then they lost their way a bit, West Ham. Really important to get the Antonio goal before half-time. Second half, they were sensational. Declan Rice, I mean, the goal he scored. I was off my feet. You know, you get those moments as a commentator when you just have to stand up and get really into the moment. It was absolutely sensational. He looked like a £100 million player. I know it's only Ghent in the Conference League, but it should give them confidence now to go on and win that competition. They were favourites before the night and I've always felt they'll stay in the Premier League. I think they're probably in a slightly false position there. So, yeah, I think maybe a bit of retribution, a bit of... uh, you know, a bit of a, a night where David Moyes deserves a lot of credit. Uh, Belgian teams actually did quite well in this year's uh, mm. European competition. Uh, bearing in mind, Union Saint-Gilois, I was watching, I did that game last night. 
Um, they lost it eventually to Leverkusen, but yeah, three one down, right? Okay, they're three one down in this game. Uh, they start attacking and like they, they sorry, sorry, they were two 0 down at home in the game, and then they get back, they, they get back a goal, and all of a sudden, even though the margin's massive, they're like they're starting to believe that they can claw it back with half an hour to go, playing attacking football, throwing everybody at it. It was fantastic. It really was. You know, it's great game to watch. You know, when it was one of those matches where you know it doesn't end it well for the home side the little boys didn't get through in the end but it was still a good contest and I thought that's what European football is all about you know a team that 49 years out of the Belgian top flight all of a sudden they're you know on the verge of a European semi-final well done to them anyway they went out in the quarterfinal stage and Bayer Leverkusen under Chabi Alonso by the way have gone from 17th in the Bundesliga to 6th in the Bundesliga chasing Champions League place and in the Europa League semi-final I mean it's been some turnaround he's he's done he's Garnering a reputation for himself, you know, Chabi Alonso. Next Liverpool manager, possibly? Just throwing it out there. Possibly. I mean, we'll have to wait and see. It's a big jump, isn't it? Last time someone said that, um, he, he, the guy joined Aston Villa and it's not really happened for him. Leverkusen's but, a little bit different, it, it, though, right? Yeah, look, I mean, you know, Rangers is a massive club. Um, it, 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 it may be a two-horse race up there, but it's a, it's a massive club in terms of um, dealing with all the pressures and that. Yeah, let's just wait and see. Let's just wait and see. Let's not try and elevate someone no, too no, much. I agree. But he's, I agree. he's definitely... He's definitely one to keep on the radar. And, and by the way, just talking about great games, um, the Florentina Lek Poznan one looked pretty good last night as well. Yeah. Uh, they somehow almost came back into it, but then Florentina won it in the end, 6-4 on aggregate. Wow. I love those games where there's, mm. there's just stupid, bonkers scorelines. Uh, right, OK, so uh, let's get stuck into the weekend's action, starting with two FA Cup semi-finals live from Wembley. You're listening to the FA Cup weekend on TalkSport. Alvarez scores Manchester City six, and Manchester City have secured a place in the last four. This competition is, is so special. You know, playing one of the best teams in the world, let's have it right. But we're, we're excited about the opportunity of going to Wembley. It's worked back to Doyle, 30 yards out! Oh, what a goal! Sheffield United are FA Cup semi-finalists. Brighton and Hove Albion, who are through to the FA Cup semi-finals. We've got a big game Sunday against a tough opposition that we got to go and, and win. For me, the Cup is always special. I know uh, in England, FA Cup is even more. Manchester United looking for a third. Bruno Fernandes! And they are through to a record-breaking 31st FA Cup semi-final. And there is nothing ever certain in the FA Cup. The Manchester United are not going to win a treble, but Manchester City still might, Scott Minter. That makes our good friend Grumpy Joe sitting there even happier, won't it? Uh, they made light work of buying over two legs, although I thought the first half was quite difficult for them. I was in Munich on Wednesday night. First half was quite difficult for them. But what are they going to face with Sheffield United? Because I think they're going to make probably about six or seven, maybe even eight changes. Hmm. Yeah, I was listening to you and Piercy actually um, on on Talksport, and um, I mean, what one question I have for for the chef is: I remember not that long ago saying, "Watch out for Manchester City; they can come good." And the response was, "Well, they haven't won three on the spin at all this season, and I think it's eleven on the spin now, isn't it?" In all yeah. competitions, uh, no, um, so, because they drew the game. Last uh, on Wednesday night, technically. Well, sorry, game. yes. So, yes. 11, 11 straight wins and a draw yeah. um, in, in all competitions. Correct. Um, listen, they're, they're, they're coming. And I think, you know, Pep's talked about being tired. I'm surprised he said that, actually, because I think psychologically you want to really get everything positive. But the bottom line is he has a wonderful squad. They're up against Sheffield United, who have done so well to get where they are and also in the championship. But this is a still a perfect opportunity, an FA Cup semi-final. You look at the bench they had during the week, Sam. Why not play almost all that bench? It's still a great team. It's not showing any disrespect to Sheffield United. And you're resting players at the same time. This is the perfect game, I feel, because if they'd have played Manchester United or Brighton, they have to play the best 11, whatever Pep thinks that is right now. Sheffield United, again, with the greatest of respect, you play a, a second-string City side, and that's still more than good enough to win. Yeah, I mean, I've got um, my sort of estimate is something like Ortega, Walker, Diaz, Laporte, Lewis doing that sort of left fullback into midfield role, Phillips, Mares, De Bruyne, Palmer, Foden, Alvarez, something like that. And that would be Not one, two, three, four, five, six, seven, 
eight, nine changes, and it would still be pretty damn cool. Yeah. <laughs> Listen, it, it's, it's a side that's too good for Sheffield United, especially with, obviously, Doyle and McAtee both on loan from Manchester City, two of the key men for Sheffield United in their quarterfinal, unable to play. So I think Pep, to a certain extent, can name whatever team he wants, and City will still win with something to spare. I think they're bidding to become the first side since 1965-66 to reach the final without conceding a single goal. There's a stat for you, Sam. I think Everton, the last team to do that. And there's every chance, I think, that Manchester City emulate them. Obviously, they've lost their last three semi-finals, which I'm sure is a bit of a bugbear. Yeah, he's got a bit of a thing about that, by the way. He's got a thing about the FA Cup semi-finals and not turning up in in semi-finals. And, uh, you know, they made changes last year. It was a terrific game against Liverpool in the semi-final last year, but they made changes. And as a result of that, they ended up conceding silly goals. Zach Stefan had an absolute nightmare in that first uh, half an hour. Uh, of that game. Um, so I think he's got a bit between his teeth about the FA Cup semi-finals and it's a big week for them. You know, they've gone through in Europe, they've got the FA Cup semi-final and they've got Arsenal mm. on Wednesday night. Mentally, is the only thing that can undo them a little bit of complacency or fatigue here, Scott? I don't think it's complacency because I think, you know, earlier in the season we're saying, why aren't they, you know, the, the team that we've been expect- seeing the last few years and we've given the reasons for that. But now it's... Like United in 99, it's bang, bang, bang. You're on it all the time. Whoever's mm. playing, 100%. You know, So I don't think it would be complacency. The only thing I do think is perhaps tiredness. But again, with the sports science they've got, they look at individual players. You've just mentioned those players who you think could play nine changes and yet still should win most games in the Premier League, let alone against Sheffield United. I, I, I think they're almost an irresistible force at the moment. And I think the Sheffield United game, again, with the greatest of respect to them, with the Arsenal match coming up, is a perfect opportunity to rest those top players and get ready for the Arsenal game midweek. Um, let's quickly talk about um, Phil Foden on the bench in midweek, someone who's come back from uh, a an operation. What an asset that is just at the right stage of the season. The other thing is he wasn't injured, so it's not like he's going to uh, you know, slowly come back nursing that sort of you know, hip flexor or or trying to manage a knee problem. He, this is a guy who's just had his appendix out. He's been out for four games. He's going to come back, and he, I'm sure he'll come back and fire, won't he? Pick up where he left off. You know, he was p- brilliant for Manchester City before his unfortunate absence. And, uh, yeah, fresh legs in some ways at just the right point of the season. It's, it's all coming right for Manchester City, isn't it? Arsenal having a wobble. Perfect semi-final. How does that make you for feel? Them. How does that make you feel? <laughs> and I think they'll win the Champions League. I know Stuart Pearce was quite cautious about their semi-final against Real Madrid. I think City are a better team than, than Real Madrid, unless they have a brain freeze. Well, they are, but they were a better team than last year. I said before, and I think they might win the treble because um, a couple of weeks ago, actually, I was doing a thing for a betting company. I said, I think they might win the treble. And when I was in Munich with Pep, I said to him, um, I asked him about you know how he goes about managing the game, about not getting dragged into a goal fest because that would you know, ultimately, it, you know, it causes nervousness and ripples through the squad that you don't need. You, need, you, don't want, to, you want a calm game, not a, a mad, chaotic game. And just the way he talks and the way he answers, I looked at him and I think, you know you're going to win it. You know you're going to win it. That he, The way he carries himself, and I've spent a lot of time with him, as you know, and we've had lots of different discussions and some of them are really pleasant mm-hmm. and most of them really aren't. <laughs> <laughs> you know, he sort of very keeps you on your toes and he sort of wants to jibe with you. He wants to joust with you. That's what he, it's, he, he, he feeds off that. You know, that's, his, that's the way he operates. He's a bit like content but in a different sort of way he likes the conflict he likes the sort of he likes to butt up against you and he wants to test you so you ask him a proper question you go for him and then then he can give you a proper answer he likes that um and um i've just i've just been talking to him the last couple of weeks and i'm just thinking looking at his face and the way he's holding himself and i just think you know you know how good you are you know how good this team is compared to everything else that's on the horizon and yeah, the, the Real Madrid game is a is a huge tester, but I think they'll get through. I think they'll they'll absolutely rip to pieces anybody they play in the final. The other two are just nowhere near the level of of Manchester City. So the only team that can beat Manchester City now in the Champions League for me is Manchester City. And in the FA Cup, uh, I think it's uh, I think we all become Brighton fans after Sunday. No. No, 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 no. I think it'd be nice for them to win the Ooh. treble. I think it will look. I think it will look great on English football that we've got. A Won't be as good as United's treble. Look at the teams they've had to beat <laughs> and the teams that we had to beat in '99. 
Do you remember when you were saying that where this, this where... possible trouble this this year was uh, you were looking forward to it? Robbie Fowler put up a post on uh, uh, Instagram last night saying, yeah, weren't you all calling it the Mickey Mouse treble when we did it? And then him holding all three trophies and looking at you guys as if to say, oh, you're not going to do it in the end, are you? <laughs> oh, the banter uh, can, this can morning has been brilliant. Yeah, where does it put Pep? You know, does it make him even a little bit higher? And it doesn't put him above Ferguson, which was your claim at the time. They haven't won it yet. Well, no, exactly. And and I, I don't think he thinks he knows he's, he's won it. But I think like with any sort of genius, and I do think he's a genius, Sam, he gets bored by things he, he, he feels he has to do and, and, and repetitive, boring questions. So when you come up against him and you ask him a little bit, that's something a bit different. You're right. He, he's, he becomes a bit more stimulated. Yeah. Otherwise, you can see him. How prickly does he become in lots of press conferences? Oh, he's, gotcha. he's not bothered about that. But I agree with you. This is the final. You know, whoever wins this semi-final, you know, wins the whole competition. And look, we've said it about Man City for, for years and years. And this is Real Madrid who, let's not forget, you're right, Sam, to bring it up about what happened last season. I mean, Real Madrid should have been knocked out the round of 16 against PSG, the quarterfinals against Chelsea, the, the semi-finals against City, and, and Courtois was the man of the match in the final. So never rule them out. But for me, City are the best team on the planet and they're playing that type of football now. Good luck to Sheffield United at the weekend then. <laughs> that game's live on Talk Sport. Looking forward to it. I'll be there for the, the television and then I'll switch over to the radio for Manchester United versus Brighton. Crook spent the day with Lewis Dunk in Brighton on the Dodgems. How was that? It was brilliant. It was great fun. Credit for to Lewis Dunk, who, who really invested in the afternoon. He enjoyed it. I said to him, you know, we'll go on the Dodgers, but let's not bump, you know, because I don't want to put you out of the semi-final. And he said, no, no, if we're going on the Dodgers, we've got to do some bumping. He absolutely smashed into me at once. <laughs> <laughs> uh, so, yeah, but listen, he was very relaxed. He was talking confidently because obviously they've been here before. They lost to Manchester City, but he was making the point this is a, a totally different scenario. Then they were trying yeah. to establish themselves in the Premier League under Chris Hughes. And now they're not only established, they've got eyes on Europe. And I think he feels they can do something magical this weekend. Yeah, and a lot of that is down to the manager. And you asked him about uh, Roberto De Zerbi and what he's brought to the club. I've learned so much since he's been at the club. Um, he's changed my view on football um, in, in the way football can be done and how simple he can make things. Um, but being so complex at the same time. So, yeah, he's put some extra hunger in me to, to keep improving. And um, I think this year I've improved a lot from the start of the year to now under his under his coaching. And hopefully I've got even more improvement to go under however long he's here. It's a great interview. And if you get the opportunity, please go to a TalkSports uh, YouTube page. And uh, not only will you see the Dodgem fight between uh, Dunk and uh, Dumb, um, you'll also see uh, Crookie standing on the edge of a pier doing an interview uh, with uh, Lewis Dunk. It's, you know, it's a really good, insightful piece, actually. It's only about 10 minutes long. So if you get the opportunity, it's on the TalkSport YouTube channel. Um, let's talk about um, Brighton's approach to this game, Scott. They might as well go up an atom, as they always do at Manchester United. They, they made them wilt in the first half of the season. This could be, this could be a real challenge for United. Well, I, I thought, as, as Crookie sort of alluded to earlier on, that, that Brighton were probably slight favourites anyway before what happened on Thursday night. And the fact that, that United not only are psychologically a little bit down at the moment, they'll also be physically tired. You know, all the travelling, the, the sort of lack of sleep, the disruption to your body clock in that sense. So <clears throat> I, I, I strongly fancy Brighton for this game. And here's a question for you as well. Considering... Um, Chelsea did pretty well against Real Madrid midweek and it certainly wasn't a 2-0, but Brighton completely outplayed them. How would Brighton get on, get on against Real Madrid? Ooh, that is an interesting question. We may end up finding out next season if they get into the Champions League, which isn't beyond the realms of possibility on the basis that they've still got to beat Manchester United, sorry, play Manchester United in the league and play Newcastle away in the league. Both those games, by the way, live on TalkSport, are part of our absolute raft of live football over the next couple of weeks, especially in midweek where all the big games are on TalkSport, including that Arsenal-Manchester City game, Tottenham Manchester United game, Brighton Manchester United the week after, Arsenal Chelsea. Uh, I mean, it's we're flooded with live games at this moment in time. It's absolutely brilliant. I'm looking forward to being at a lot of those. Newcastle Brighton on 18th of May is going to be crucial towards the end of the season as well. 
you know, bearing in mind that Brighton are, are a little bit further back from everybody else. They've got every chance of, you know, like, I mean, when Crook said it er, in, earlier in the season, we thought it was a bit fanciful, but it will depend on those big head-to-heads. And it, it's almost like a tournament, isn't it? They can knock Newcastle out. They can knock Manchester United out. And they can keep going and keep progressing. They're all six-pointers. So, look, good luck to them. Uh, Ferguson, is he going to be fit, Crook? Well, when I spoke to Lewis Dunk, he wasn't sure about that. Um, I don't think we've heard from Deserbi yet. I think he's speaking after we're recording this podcast. No. But the omens don't necessarily look great. But they've got Danny Welbeck, who I think may have started the game anyway, played really well, you may remember, on the opening day of the season at Old Trafford. Obviously, a Mancunian lad came through the academy, won the Premier League with United, has that big game experience. So it wouldn't have surprised me if, if Welbeck got the nod even before Ferguson picked up the injury. Let's just talk tactically about Brighton a little bit because I think we, we don't really do that often enough. One of the things that, that Brighton will do this weekend is that they will push men high up on both sides of the pitch to attack Manchester United's fullbacks. They will also they, they will also flood the box with midfield players as well, which is going to cause real problems for those two holding midfield players of Manchester United. And those two centre backs, they're going to go, they're not going to know which one to follow, are they? That's going to be the, the problem. And, and and someone at the Manchester United, the heart of the Manchester United defence, has got to take control, Scott. Look, what we saw on Thursday night in in Seville, I I if I were a Man United fan, and I'm again not sure which crook he is here in this particular game, but I would seriously be concerned because I think you know Pep said about how well Brighton play out from the back, they're the best in the world. Everybody knows what they're meant to be doing. Matoma and March on either side are just on fire. Whether it be Ferguson or Welbeck, I actually think Ferguson is the better player, despite him being young. But if he's not fit and, and, and Welbeck against his former team, you always play try and play someone against their former team. But McAllister, for me, is the one who just, mm. I think he's absolutely amazing. Caicedo just who, behind who has to as keep, well. Who has to keep tabs on, on him? On McAllister? Yeah. Well, you know, you would think it would be a, a Casemiro, and I think he certainly got the experience to do that. Um, but I think it's going to be it's going to be fascinating to see. I, I've you look at this on paper, Manchester United against Brighton, and yet I still can't quite work out how I can argue a case for United. Okay, let and me let me try and do just... it for you. Brighton will play a lot of football in Manchester United's half. Okay, they'll attack down both sides of the pitch. And they will spend a lot of time in United's like final third. Manchester United's biggest asset has been for the last God knows how long, four years, is the counter-attack. Is there a possibility that with Brighton attacking so much, if they don't take the chances that come their way, which has been an issue beforehand, it's not so much of an issue under Deserby, but it has been an issue beforehand, that Manchester United can pounce on the counter-attack? Is that, is that the modus operandi the... they need to, to employ? I, I think, well, first of all, I think that's the only way United can win. Second of all, isn't it amazing that we're talking about the only way that we think or I think that United can win is almost sit back and play in the counter-attack against the Brighton and Hove Albion side. But but three, I think De Zerbi has got them so well drilled that even when they've got the ball and even when they do push on, they, they play with such a sort of high line and it's a compact 11 themselves that everyone knows where they should be if they lose the ball in transition. So, look, I, I'm re- I feel like I'm really bigging up Brighton here and, and really putting down United. And that's not necessarily my intention. But I just think in current form, psychologically, tactically, Brighton are the better team right now. OK, well, we will see on Sunday afternoon. Uh, we will all be there. We're looking forward to it. Um, it's live on TalkSport 4.30. Uh, Crook's doing pitch side, aren't you, this week? Talking to your, uh, your, your special mates. That'd be good. I am. And do you know uh, what, producer Deck? Don't take a selfie with Ten Hag again. Producer Declan asked me which end of the ground I wanted to be at. Did I want to be in front of the United fans or the Brighton fans? So, uh, oh, what did you decide? Well, I said United, um, but I'm actually now thinking Brighton might be the story. So, uh, oh, yeah, because he's jumping off the horse and going on the <laughs> other one. Yeah, we know, we know, we know. Okay, let's switch focus just like Crook does uh, to the weekend's Premier League action, starting with Friday night's clash at the Emirates. Many of us have those stubborn pounds that seem impossible to lose, no matter how good we eat or how hard we work out. My solution is Plush Care. Plush Care is a leading telehealth provider with doctors who are there for you day and night to partner with you in your weight loss journey. They can prescribe FDA-approved weight loss medications like Wagovi and Zepbound for those who qualify. Plus, they accept most insurance plans. To get started, visit plushcare.com slash weight loss. That's plushcare.com slash weight loss. Here's a cool fact. A crocodile can't stick out its tongue. Another cool fact 
you can get short-term health insurance for a month or just under a year in some states. United Healthcare short-term insurance plans are designed for people who are between jobs, coming off their parents' plan, or turning a side hustle into a full-time gig. Underwritten by Golden Rule Insurance Company, they offer flexible, budget-friendly coverage with access to a nationwide network of doctors and hospitals. Get more cool facts about United Healthcare short-term plans at uh1.com. The Premier League All Access podcast is proud to be brought to you by Ladbrokes. There's a lot more to those 90 minutes than what goes down on the pitch. With the latest odds, form guides and expert opinions, you'll know the score with Ladbrokes. Odds update on Talk Sport with Labrooks. Are you in? Let's go. Play at labrooks.com, 18 plus, be gambleaware.org. T's and C's apply. Comes for Saka! Saka puts it in! Arsenal level! Wood Prowse on the volley! 1 0 Southampton! Solomon heads in the rebound! Fulham are level! Harrison, 1 0! Great goal from Leeds United. Boston Nunez in behind the defence, slips it past the goalkeeper, and it's six for Liverpool. Johnson's onto it, 2 0 to Nottingham Forest. The FA Cup, the original and the best. De Bruyne, ah! Oh, what a strike from Kevin De Bruyne from the edge of the penalty area. Oh, what a goal! What a winner! Sheffield United are FA Cup semi finalists. Homer will shoot and find the net! Brighton have surely won it! Under Roberto De Zerbi, could this be the year they lift the FA Cup? Bruno Fernandes! And they are through to a record-breaking 31st FA Cup semi-final. Arsenal against Southampton live on Talk Sports. Uh, the perfect fixture crook for Arsenal, isn't it? Bearing in mind that uh, Southampton look as if they're done and dusted. Absolutely. Uh, I mean, obviously, th- th- they've dropped points in the last two games. So you could make an argument that if you're going to pl- take on Arsenal at their own place, this is probably the best time to do it. But that's assuming you've got any kind of football now to yourself. And Southampton have proved they haven't. They've been absolutely dismal in the last few weeks. The big revelation this morning is that Ruben Sellers ah. unlikely to get the job beyond the end of the season. Wow, who saw that Absolutely. Coming? I mean, that's, that must be the easiest decision the board have ever had to make. Well, that and sacking Nathan-Jones. So, listen, they're playing poorly. He's still talking in riddles. He's still talking about philosophy and identity. They've got no chance. You need them. points, mate. Got no chance. So, <laughs> Arsenal win the game. He's almost... Theo Walcott will put up a bit of resistance against his old club. But apart from that, I can't make a case for Southampton. Um, okay, Southampton bit um, down and out and probably all but relegated to the championship, Scott. Uh, but it's important for Arsenal, isn't it, to get back on the horse and um, put three points on the board because it's very easy to turn around and say from a position outside of a, a sort of Premier League title race that, oh, they've, they, it's terrible dropping two, two goal leads back to back. They're awful. How, how have they done that? just remind ourselves of where they were. They were away at West Ham United and they were away at Liverpool. And, and, and those two teams aren't going to just roll over and have their tummies tickled just because Arsenal are trying to win the league. So, but it is important because there was points in those games when they played very well, by the way, especially in the first 20 minutes of both. They played absolutely excellent football. Um, but um, they've got to make sure that there's no slip-ups here. Sam, this game is 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 massive. It's crucial. I mean, they all are must-win games now from Arsenal here and in. But after, you know, I, I, listen, Anfield, I think, was always going to be difficult despite the start they had. And perhaps in the end, they, they, they were lucky to get one point. West Ham, you've got to see the game out. You know, I know what it's like. What it would have been like there at the, at the London Stadium where the fans would have been starting to turn. They They needed to make sure they came out with all three points. They didn't. Do you know what? It's still in their hands, Arsenal fans, you know, and, and everybody else listening. It's still in their hands. So what do you do? Champions react. Champions make sure they win the next game, as Crookie just alluded to there. This couldn't be a better um, game for them, really, ahead of the Manchester City in, in terms of not just winning, but putting a good performance and, and getting a good result. Because if they don't, then I'm sorry, that's, that's them done. And, and I'd say that, you know, quite after the game. They have to get the three points. If they do and they draw against City, then those next three games against Chelsea, Newcastle and Brighton, 
absolutely crucial, but it's still in their hands. And um, we do take questions on this podcast occasionally, every now and again. And if you want to uh, tweet us a question, you can do it. It's at Sam Matterface on uh, Twitter or at uh, Alex underscore Crook or at, is it I am Scott Minto on... Uh, no, don't bother uh, tweeting Don't give out my Twitter uh, address no, this weekend of all weekends when you've accused me of jumping off the horse. <laughs> what are you trying to do? Yeah, at, no, I, at, at I, Alex I, underscore Crook. Um, so anyway, um, you reported in midweek that James Will Prowse will be allowed to leave the club once uh, Southampton's relegation is confirmed. Mm. Uh, where would suit him, and is he any good? Because Jeremy, the producer, says no. He's massively, massively, massively overrated and can't do anything if the ball is moving. <laughs> I think that's, that's a very harsh take on James Will Prowse's career. Uh, I, I don't think he's had. If you look at the season as a whole, it's not been brilliant. The first half of the season was poor. Hence the fact he was included in the World Cup squad. Definitely not brilliant. He had a bit of a lift after that and came up with some important goals. I think he's a leader. And I think we we only know how good he is when you put him in a decent team. Liverpool need midfielders, for example. If they could get James Ward-Prowse and get somebody world-class to play alongside him, I don't think that would be the worst transfer in the world. Would I want him at Manchester United? No. Probably his level is a West Ham, I would have thought. (laughs) So, so basically, I wouldn't want him at Manchester United, but let's give him to Liverpool. Uh, it sort of tells you what you really think about him, doesn't it? Um, time now to look at the battle at the bottom of the Premier League, starting with the big clash for beleaguered Leeds. Uh, we'll whiz through these in the next few minutes because there's some big games live on TalkSport uh, over the course of the next uh, few days. And this one is absolutely huge for Leeds United, away at Fulham. Pathetic on Monday night. I was at Ellen Road on Monday night, Scott, and I've got to be honest with you. Mm-hmm. They were so passive in the first half. I thought, what are they trying to do? Okay, so they're trying not to be as chaotic as usual. So they don't want to like, you know, open the game up because they know that Liverpool will, will beat them that way. So they just sat off Liverpool and allowed Liverpool to have the ball. That's, that's almost as bad. Trent Alexander-Arnold, who is getting used to this new position, of the, I suppose we can call it the John Stones position, where, uh, or the John Stones mechanic, where you go from one position to another. Uh, he's getting used to that. Um, he had an absolute field day. He was playing like a quarterback. And look, you know, I heard people sort of questioning Harry Gracia. I mean, he's just come in, and I find that ridiculous. You know, they've beaten Southampton, Wolves and Forest. They drew against Brighton. They, for, for 40, what was it, four minutes, they were excellent against Palace and should have been two or three nil up. That second half against Palace was, I don't think they knew what hit them. And then obviously, you know, Sod's Law, the, the very next game, they go against Liverpool and, and do what they did there. I think the fact that the spine has kind of been ripped out of them, you know, you've got Bamford up front and for all his critics, he, he does lead the line very well for them. Tyler Adams, I think in midfield has yeah, been a big miss. A big miss. And, and and Max Verber as well, you know. So you've got well statistically the spine when Verber's out of the team, they concede so many more goals than when he's in the team. Absolutely, I mean, you know that might be a quirk of fate. He's only been there since the, the the January transfer window, but ultimately he looks as if he's having a key influence on that team. And when you watch him, he's a leader. He takes charge of situations. They don't really have that many good central defenders. I mean, if Pascal Strike is the answer to your central defensive problems, I don't know what the question is. Well, the question is, how do you go down? Um, and and <laughs> they 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 need they need to be careful because you know defensively, you know the, the amount of goals they've, they've conceded already 60, 60 goals. They worst conceded. defense in the league. They can't absolutely. So the next three games, if you look at their fixture list, the next three games for me decide whether Leeds Leeds United stay up or not. Um, they've obviously got Fulham, they've got Leicester, they've got Bournemouth. And Bournemouth are playing well, as Crookie well knows, because after that they've got Man City, Newcastle, West Ham away, and Spurs. Ouch. You know, so absolutely. So this particular month decides whether Leeds United stay up or not. I certainly hope they do. I've always enjoyed covering them. I think the fan base is superb, despite producer Jeremy working with us. Um it's it it's it's a club that deserves to be in the Premier League, but recruitment's not been great. And I don't blame Javi Gracia at all, but he needs to find a way with the players that he's got. Yeah, and to blame and Rajrazani and Victor Orta, who uh, Victor Orta always sits there sort of rubbing his chin and being very demonstrative and looking as if he's going through the mill a little bit or he's down in the Old Trafford Tunnel when I was in there after the Manchester United 2-2 draw, celebrating the fact that he'd sacked Jesse Marsh and now they'd come and, and put up a great performance. You just think, mate, chill out. Make sure you stay up first before you start getting over and over excited. You know, you're the and, one who's responsible if you're for celebrating these managers. 
Absolutely. If you're celebrating the sacking of Jesse Marsh, then why didn't you do it earlier? Because because that, that's that's a major problem. Well, I didn't know he was celebrating the sacking of Jesse Marsh. I think he just thought he was sort of almost taking credit for the decision that, to make the change at that time, and then they got a positive result the next the next match. That's what it felt like to me. Um, uh, Ilian Melier um, has been linked with a move to Bayern Munich this week um, because they're going to be in the market for a new goalkeeper. Uh, he has conceded uh, from the last ten shots that he has faced. Not really the mark of a Bayern Munich goalkeeper. He is very talented. I do think there's something about him, but he has had a terrible season. And I think a lot of that is down to the fact that the people in front of him have not been particularly reliable at all. Uh, But he has got caught out and he did get caught out uh, in the game on Monday night. Producer Jeremy was having an absolute meltdown on uh, Monday night. Wonderful. The text messages that were flying around were, uh, were, were were pretty spicy, weren't they? Um, Leicester against uh, Wolverhampton Wanderers first real game of Dean Smith's era because Manchester City away doesn't really count but these three certainly do Crook Wolves at home Leeds away live on TalkSport and Everton at home live on TalkSport yeah and really what Scott said about Leeds I think is true for Leicester as well I think these next three games absolutely crucial for them not a great time to be playing Wolves we've said before it's all about Back-to-back victories at this stage of the season. Bournemouth have done it, won their last two away games. Wolves have done it as well, albeit I think both their wins came at Molyneux. But I think he's got them organised. I think Costa scored a goal first time in 2,000 days in the Premier League. So I don't think this is this is easy for Leicester. And I guess we're going to see now how much impact Dean Smith's appointment has really made. Because yes, they rallied late on against Manchester City, could have maybe got it back to 3-2, but City declared at half-time in that game. And I still think the problems that haunted Brendan Rodgers towards the end of his spell are going to be there for Dean Smith. I don't think he's got a magic wand. It wouldn't surprise me if Wolves win this game. John Terry might play in defence, Scott. (laughs) Do you know what? It was very clever of Dean. Um, You know, with the greatest respect, I don't think he's the most inspirational appointment. So to him to make sure to to get John Terry, who is who he is, and and I've heard he's a very good coach as well, and Craig Shakespeare, I think to get them as a three was really important. That the job of a caretaker manager is different to a job of a permanent manager. You you, you become a caretaker manager because of of defeats. There's not many games to go. So what do you do? You you become everybody's best friend. You know, Jamie Vardy, get him back on board because he's very powerful in the dressing room. Um, but there's a balance, isn't there? I mean, you're right. Against Manchester City, I suppose the only positive you can take out is they didn't concede nine because City can do that. They, they sometimes don't take the foot off the gas, but they did there. This is an, a crucial game to say, look, we're here on in going to be something different. We may not win every game, but we are going to show, one, we've got character, two, we can put in a good performance, and three, tactically, mm. we look spot on. I think Dean is the right type of character to do that with the, the staff that he's got. He just needs to be everybody's friend right now and work on their head as much as their their, their physique. And, and also in, ensure that they start somehow keeping clean sheets. Now, they might get a good start here against the Wolves side that don't score too many goals, although they are looking for a third win in a row. But that's got to be the platform from which they can build. And you're right about making friends because Harry Redknapp tells this great story about asked, what do you do if you're an interim manager or you're taking charge to the end of the season or you come in midway through uh, a season. You've got to try and galvanise a team that are underperforming. And he said, you lie. You go in and tell them that even if they're absolutely crap, they are the best players in the world. (laughs) I'm delighted that I'm coming here and working with you. It doesn't matter if you get rid of them in the summer, but for the next couple of months, you've got to make them feel really good because otherwise you're going to lose them straight away. So, you know, you're right. You've got to make friends. You've got to get people on side. You have to, you have to tell white lies in order to get over the line. And Dean Smith, I don't know if he's capable of doing that, but he's certainly capable of getting a group together. And we've seen that before. And I think actually in the circumstances, it's probably about the best thing that they they could have done. Uh, Liverpool against Forest, live on TalkSport 2 at 3 o'clock. Um, Leeds were bad on Monday night. Liverpool were very good, I uh, thought, and definitely ruthless. And great to see Diego Jota scoring again after 32 Premier League games without a goal crook. Yeah, they were good, Liverpool. Jurgen Klopp described it as their best performance of the season. <laughs> I think having watched the 7-0 bit, against bit Manchester overplaying United. That. Bit overplaying maybe that. Maybe disagree with that, but Liverpool at home, Forest, dismal away record. Forest quite poor, I thought, against Manchester United. This is going to go one way, isn't it? It's going to be a comfortable Liverpool victory. Lewis Dias being back is brilliant for Liverpool as well, Scott, isn't it? 
Do you know what? He he was sensational when he came in, wasn't he? And and he's he's been a big, big blow. And people talk about Sadio Mane going to Bayern Munich. I think Luis Diaz being out for as long as he has is has been a massive blow as well. But look, let's not forget, after the Man U game, we thought Liverpool were back. They're going to go on a great run. They're going to be top four. You know, this was their first win in five. They'd, they'd lost two and drawn two before then. And what looking at the table, they're nine points off Newcastle. Hmm. Yeah, but at home, they're a different animal to away. I mean, away, they are usually guff. Oh. I mean, they did play Leeds on Monday night, so that was an excuse for not being so. But um, the rest of the season, away from home, they've been dreadful. So I think yeah, at and, home and, and at Anfield is a different case. Totally. And and look, you know, physically and mentally, I think last season took a heck of a lot out of the players. But there's something about Anfield that's such so special that, that can still drag them through, whereas away from home, they don't. And you, the results are there for everyone to see. Do I think they'll finish top four? No. no. Do I think they'll win this game comfortably? Yes. Yeah. And a lot of that will be down to the, the dominance in midfield that they will have and they'll have an extra body in there because Trent is getting used to this new position where he comes in from the right full back into the centre and pinging balls over the top. And I just think that Nottingham Forest, who are terrible away from home anyway, will struggle to be able to contain that. Newcastle against Spurs is on Sunday. A top four battle, two sides coming off the back of the defeats. Uh, now, if Newcastle beats Spurs, I think that their top four position is safe. But if they were to lose to Spurs this weekend... Then all of a sudden, I don't think it opens it up for Spurs, by the way, because I think they're just so guffed that they're not going to be able to put enough run uh, of results together to be able to get into the top four. But I think it does open the door uh, for uh, Brighton. That's nothing to be sneezed at. It does. Um, I'd given up on Brighton in terms of the top four after that defeat of Spurs. I think it's still a mountain to climb. But as you mentioned, maybe the sort of round-robin way their season's going to end might just play into Deserby's hands, particularly given their really good away record, actually. But... You can't make a case for Spurs, can you? Based on what we saw last weekend at home to Bournemouth, based on what we saw when they got very lucky, probably the flukiest win of the season against Brighton the week before that. If Newcastle are anywhere near their best form, then I think they'll probably win this. I mean, obviously, they're off the back of a 3-0 defeat of Villa, but I think that was as much about how well Villa played as how poor Newcastle were. At home on a Sunday afternoon, the crowd are going to be up for it. They know the significance of the fixture because, as you said, I think if they win, that's the top four pretty much guaranteed. I think they'll get the job done, Newcastle. Sam, I was at Villa Park on on Saturday and and Newcastle, I mean, Villa were really, really good. And you look at them now and they're in sixth position. And, you know, I I don't see them going into the fourth position just because I think they've left it too late. They'll have to win pretty much every game here on in. I think Spurs have been that inconsistent in the way that Liverpool have. And Newcastle were really poor. I was really disappointed. I was waiting for them to come back, especially in the second half, and they didn't. Uh, maybe an early part of the second half, but that was about it. I, I feel the top four are what it is, what it is, because I, I think Villa have just left it too late. I think Brighton have got too much on their hands. You know, it's all very well having games in hand, but it's very difficult to keep on winning those games in hand when they come thick and fast and they don't really have the squad to deal with that. So for me, I think this is a big game for Newcastle. Win this and, and you are top four. Spurs have been poor all season and Christian Stellini, who was described by Danny Murphy as an absolute joke on Monday night's uh, programme. He said, I don't understand why he's there. I just don't. He said, it's the worst ap- uh, appointment of the whole season because basically what you've done is, is you've got rid of Antonio Conte and then brought in Christian Stellini. What he said, he actually asked this question, actually, uh, Danny Murphy. I thought it was really interesting. What did Christian Stellini do when he went in to speak to Daniel Levy? Did he walk in there and say... Oh, what I'm going to do, you know, you know, the crowd are really annoyed about the fact that we're playing really pragmatically and really boring and not creating enough chances. And, you know, we're pr- pretty much basically the worst team in terms of entertainment in the league. I'm just going to keep doing that. Is that all right? <laughs> and Daniel Levy went, yeah, OK, yeah, keep going. <laughs> like, what, what, what was that interview process? What was that chat between the two of them? I just can't really work it out. There must have been a point where, where, where Daniel Levy went, you're not going to do what he did, are you? Because, you know, the reason we're getting rid of him is because everyone's like really up in arms about it. <laughs> it's like no, 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 no. They're just going to do it again. Oh, all right then. You think they'll be all right with that? Yeah, 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 yeah. You know. Do, do you know what, Sam? Do you know what, Sam? That's not the reason why they got rid of him. The reason why they got got rid of him was because he went on the rant. If he hadn't have gone on that rant, he'd still be in charge. Would you be even worse? And that's the crazy well, thing. Well, absolutely. Well, that's the crazy thing. So, what what does anyone expect? What did Daniel Levy expect? You've got Antonio Conte's number two for how many years? And he's oh. probably going to be his number two going forward. So why would he then suddenly make it obvious that 
I really disagreed with your uh, tactics in that. So I'm going to go all out expansive. But next season, can I be your number two again? And please? actually, when I spoke to him after the first game, I said, did you try and do anything different? And he went, oh, no, I've been working with Antonio for too long. I knew I needed to stick true to the principles. I was like, well, this isn't going to work, just so you know. And then when he told me at Everton, this was a good performance. I was like, right, OK, we're in trouble. You're in massive trouble here. <laughs> uh, Daniel Levy also telling jokes at the Cambridge Union this week when he said Harry Kane can win trophies with Tottenham. <laughs> of course he can. Well, hey, all right, OK. Stop it. Stop it. Stop it. Stop it. It's too it was like a last throw of the uh, guys three from more Levy, wasn't it? Oh, please stay, Harry. I'll build you a statue. <laughs> yeah, yeah. <laughs> Yeah. Uh, meanwhile, Kane's like uh, on the phone to uh, Hassan Salihamidzic in uh, uh, Bayern Munich, going, "Yeah, yeah, any, yeah, whatever. Yeah, don't worry. No, you don't even have to pay me. I'll just come. It's fine. It's fine. Just any sort of trophy will do. Please get me out of here. Uh, three more Premier League games this weekend to cast our eye over. Yeah. Palace, who are sinking more shots nowadays than the average student freshers' week. And Everton, who are rotten, uh, last time at home to uh, Fulham, they were very, very poor, especially in second half. Major trouble. Their away form is poor. And then we talked about Nottingham Forest, if their home form deserts them. I mean, if Everton can't get a tune out of themselves at home, they're in massive trouble. And they've got to go to Palace this weekend, Scott. How do you see this one going? Yeah, first of all, I, I like the reference to the shots or the one that you did in the last one. And then you, I think Cookie mentioned me and then you said, well, we haven't seen him since. Well, yeah, you well, knew you, I was on holiday. No, I, I like I an all day. I think it was and, and we'll all we'll, we'll all already start to plan the next one. Which what you know were those Sam's only allowed out once a year, Scott. Remember, he's used his pass. <laughs> once a season, Crook. So the new season starts soon. Don't worry. <laughs> No, no, no. Well, we've, we've arranged an end, end of the season. season. We end the season one, yeah. But yeah, are we going to go absolutely. back for the baby Guinnesses? They're the ones that uh, Joe, who does the uh, the visual producing for they us, nice. he was he yeah. was he walked in. He said, uh, "Just to let you know, I'm a bit of a drinker." <laughs> he's you know he's he's about seventeen, um, <laughs> and by the end of it, he was sort of standing there. Like sort of struggling to stand up as Crook was sitting there with his 19th pint, thinking <laughs> as if nothing had happened. He, he, bless him, he did make me laugh. You're right, he's, he's about 17, he looks about 17, he's about 10 stone wet through, and he looked up at the six foot four Alex Crook, who's I don't know how much he weighs, and says, I can drink you, I can out drink you. And I'm like, don't <laughs> okay. go there. That's now. a bit like uh, Everton saying they can go to Palace and win, really, isn't it? Um, unlikely. Yeah. Look, look on that. I think again, when you're relying so much on your home form, it puts so much pressure on that. And I, I wasn't overly surprised to see Fulham do what they do because Everton are not a great side, and I think they, you know, the pressure is so much at home. But they're up against the Palace side, who at the moment, you know, if they're not already staying up, they're one win away or probably one draw. Thirty-six, thirty-six points might well be enough. They're informed. The shackles are off. They're going to have fun. You know, Everton's so poor away from home. I can't see anything other than the Palace win. Uh, Brentford against uh, Aston Villa. Can uh, rampant Aston Villa pick up points in one of the league's trickiest away days, Crook? Yeah, I think they can, actually. Um, Brentford lost at home to Newcastle recently. Um, Weren't great in their last game either. Aston Villa, they're just on this incredible run at the moment. Ollie Watkins can't stop scoring. Suddenly looks like he's a Ballon d'Or contender. Yeah, I, th- I think Villa can win. I, I think too excited. There's nothing like a little bit of overexcitement, is there? <laughs> I think Scott's right. I think they've left it a little bit too late. I know you think, Sam, that their tricky fixture list will catch them out as well. But I think if they're not top four contenders, we certainly have to include them in the European conversation now. And I think that does make yeah. Unai Emery a contender for manager of the year. I don't know about manager of the year, but I think he's done a very good job. And I must admit, I wasn't blown away by them earlier in the season, but I have been. Inc- I was. I watched the whole game on Saturday, and I was very impressed with them. I really enjoyed watching them as well. That's. I think that's a key thing, isn't it? You know, they're getting results, and they're enjoyable to watch. And I can, I'm pleased for, for for the Villa fans because they're often success starved. Uh, Bournemouth. So, Sam, can I can I just ask a question, Sam, yeah, before we move on it. there? Go. Are you saying publicly now that Aston Villa can finish in a European place? Because I know you haven't. Said I don't that think they will. No, I think they'll probably. I think they may. If they if they do it, it'll be Conference League. I think. Okay, which is so ironic because me. they started the season with a Conference League manager, didn't they? Voxel Conference. Oh, that's out. That's out of order. Such a bad kid. Such a bad kid. Such a bad kid. 
Um, let's talk about Chelsea, uh, their uh, Champions League exit. But what next for Bowley and Co. and Lampard and the rest of the squad? We thought we'd do this now with Scott because this is probably the last big Chelsea chat that we'll have this season because their season is over. I mean, it's done. I mean, literally the only thing that could possibly happen now for Chelsea of any significance is they could get relegated. (laughs) Um, So apart from that, there is nothing else happening. Scott, you were there midweek. Just describe to us what happened afterwards in terms of the atmosphere and what the feeling around the ground was. It was one of resignation, I suppose. Yeah, it was. Look, I, I thought it was a really good performance for 60 minutes. I thought um, I, I wasn't sure about the team selection, but I think Frank got it pretty much spot on. I perhaps maybe wouldn't have played Conor Gallagher or would have, would have played Joao Felix. But, you know, he went with the the, the, the players that look the fittest. I thought to put Fafana pretty much as a right back and move Reese James further forward really worked. And for all those, and there's a lot out there and there's a lot on this pod as well who are desperate to throw mud at Frank Lampard. Look, he's not the solution, but there's not many who people are um, because it's it's a real difficult place. He's definitely not not the problem. Um, and I thought his tactics were were spot on, spot on there. And just on Frank mm. in itself, I think that Wolves game was a was a real killer for him because everyone's throwing the played for, lost for, they're going back to what happened when he was Everton manager as well. You know, you've got Brighton, who Pep Guardiola said one of the best teams around at the moment. You've got Real Madrid home and away. So that Wolves game, I think, was was a real blow not to just get a, a win. But it, look, in terms of the owners, this is a club for the last two decades that has almost bucked the trend in what you shouldn't do. You know, you, you don't sack managers every two years, but but that's what Roman Abramovich did. And in a way, it was kind of built on sand, but it worked. So the moment that he's gone, and he didn't want to go, but he had to go, um, someone's come in and they're trying to do it in a different way, and it's going to take time. You know, I, I've mentioned I think this sort of analogy thing, of turning around a Titanic to you one time. Yeah. It, it really will take time. And look, did anyone see it getting this bad? No. Um, should it have got this bad? No. Um, have the owners misspent in terms of the balance of the squad? Yes. But you know what? They've overspent, not underspent. And I think there's a lot of uh, clubs fans out there who have moaned that their, their owners haven't done that. They've put their hands in the pockets. They clearly care. Uh, you know, go into the dressing room once. Don't do it again. Um, because then you you do become a little bit of a, a, a laughing stock. And, and you don't say we're going to win 3-0 at, at the Bernabeu. These are incredibly intelligent, successful people. And I hope they don't, they're not... You're, you're intelligent, you're successful sometimes because you're very good at what you do and you're stubborn. But I think the real successful ones will be able to see that actually the, the route that they've gone down, they need to tweak a bit. Okay. Um, look, I could I could go on for hours, but I know you want to... Just a quick word on on on, the, on that. I think I don't know if you heard the podcast last week when I said that I'd been speaking to people at Chelsea who said when he first came in, Todd Bowley and and, and Begnaga Farley, that it is going to be a really choppy ride for the first eighteen months or so while they find their feet of how it, English football operates. They're not used to it. They're not really um, experienced in dealing with football people. So it's going to take a little bit of time. They lost Marina Granitsky, who was a very good football operator um, last summer. Now. I understand there was a reason for that departure, Bruce Buck, a reason for that departure. So that's they had to make that change, even though necessarily they might not have wanted to. Petacek decided that he didn't want to be part of the new regime because he was involved with the old regime. So he went off as well. Maybe that was a mistake to allow that to happen. Maybe they should have kept him around to sort of ensure that they had some some Chelsea nows and some technical football nows as well on the on the board. They didn't do that. Okay, fine. So they have made mistakes. But I think over time, a couple of years, give it, it may well even itself out. Um, but I, listen, Crook was immediately on the old WhatsApp group straight after the game with a little uh, screenshot saying Lampard's second spell makes him the first Chelsea <laughs> manager in 118 uh, years to lose his first four games in charge. And then sent a little sort of ditty underneath it saying, take some doing to be fair. And almost sort of like walked away with a little smug face on until I sent him a screenshot back saying, Eric Ten Hag was the first manager, United manager in over 100 years to lose for first two games in the league. <laughs> and then 
yeah, it does, doesn't it? And then we didn't hear from him for an hour or so after that. He was sort of burying his head in the sand. But this is the problem, isn't it? You know, Chelsea sort of got to try and find a way through and they've got to be tunnel visioned about it. They can't listen to the outside noise because there's a lot of outside noise about Frank Lampard, about the squad, et cetera, et cetera, et cetera. I mean, you know, it does seem to me a bit of sort of an easy, very lazy narrative to keep going on about Frank Lampard when actually the problems are a multitude and there's so much more to the Chelsea issues than, than just having Frank in charge. Now, Frank obviously was never going to turn the job down. Is he the answer long term? No, of course he's not. Is he is he going to save us and take us to the Champions League glory? No one ever thought that was going to happen. Is he, he might not even win a game between now and the end of the season. There is an inherent problem in the squad that there is too many people that haven't been able to train. There's a lot of people that are unhappy and that's brought about by the fact. And if you wanted more of an indication as to, to what the real issues were, not Lampard, for example, and, and maybe even towards the end, not, not Potter in terms of his tactics, but Potter maybe in terms of his man management, was Thiago Silva's statement straight after the game, where he basically said, we've had to extend our changing room. We've got too many players. We need to stop and put a strategy in place. And that's clear that there wasn't one. So that is partly Potter's problem. That's partly sporting director problem. And it's partly player responsibility. But clearly... If Thiago Silva is coming out and making that statement public, the players are feeling that as well. So it's very difficult for anyone to go into that dressing room and try and change that at this late stage of the season. Look, it's a podcast all, all by itself. But what I would say is what, for Frank, from his personal point of view, he needs to win a game. You know, he needs to get back on a, on a winning run. Um, and to show that he can, you know, be a manager, whether it be in the Premier League or top-end championship. I... I I will argue with anyone with those tactics he put midweek. Yeah, that showed me he can. Fine. Absolutely. He can live, live with the big boys in, in that sense. He's just, he's almost been fast tracked, hasn't he? With one year at yeah. Derby and suddenly you're, you're in the, the spotlight. You know, he hasn't had time to really, um, you know, get through the three, four, five years that where you, you kind of have that in yourself to know what to do. And you've had to go through the bad times. Um, in terms of the club going forward, they need to get the right manager and they need to listen to him. That's what they have to do now. They've spent a £600 million and they haven't got a striker. You know, they need to write, who do you want? And that's why I'm disappointed someone didn't come in before Frank, you know, because this is the period in time now where you make your decisions in the summer. I've seen everyone. I know what their characters are like, both in the dressing room and on the pitch. We, we need to get rid of him, him, him and him. We need to bring in him and then leave this to me. Because I don't think they're a million miles away. I genuinely don't. If you get the right manager and you get a top top striker, I think they probably need two strikers because if he gets injured, you're struggling. But I don't think they're a million miles away. Crook, who are they speaking to? Because they are not going to appoint someone until the summer, but they're trying to tell everybody they're doing an exhaustive search. Yeah, I think them and Tottenham are making similar noises, really making it clear that they're trying to do due diligence and not rushing into an appointment. I think that's sensible. Um, because Todd Bowley's made a lot of bad calls since he came in. It's a wasted year, effectively. That's the brutal reality of the situation. Wasted year, wasted £600 million. So he needs to get this appointment right. Um, we know they've spoken to Ulian Nagelsmann. I disagree with that. I don't think you can say that they've wasted £600 million because that money's been spent not for just this year. That money's been spent for for years going forward. So there will be, they may have wasted half of that money. I was going to say. They, that they certainly haven't wasted £600 million. There's some players... It, it's just not going to happen for um, Aubameyang, Koulibaly for two. But he needs to get this decision right. We know they've spoken to Uli Nagelsmann. We know that they've put the feelers out for Pochettino. And my understanding is that he will be on their final shortlist of five, six contenders for the job. Luis Enrique out of the running seemingly. And there's, there's two schools of thought on that. There's one that Chelsea have decided that he's not the man for them. And there's the other school coming from his camp that maybe they've walked away from the process because they think it is going to be Nagelsmann. I don't think they've got a clear favourite at this moment in time. I think certain, again, maybe this is a highlight of the problem. Certain people in power want Nagelsmann, certain people in power want Pochettino. So they need to come together as a collective and, and decide as a group who the right man is to move them forward. That's assuming that because these managers this want person, the job. This person is going to be the manager long term. Listen, I don't know if Nagelsmann wants the job. I know that Pochettino will take mm -hmm. it. If they offer it to him in the right terms, Pochettino will take it. He thinks the squad are workable. He, he thinks they need a striker. 
He thinks he probably need another goalkeeper. But I think he believes that this is a squad that he can work with and develop. And he's also the kind of character, I think, that can work with some of those younger players and get them all on side. I think he'll have to trim the squad. There's no doubt about that. He wants a tighter, he'll want a tighter group. And there's some of those will go on loan and some of them will be sent out. But ultimately, I think uh, he would be he would probably be a good fit for a longer term. I don't think Nagelsmann will be a long-term appointment. I think if you appoint Nagelsmann, it will be a... The idea might be a, a long-term project, but look what happened at Bayern Munich. They hated the fact that the Bayern Munich um, hierarchy, and actually, let's be honest, there's a few rumblings over there about the way they dealt with him. Um, the Bayern Munich uh, hierarchy thought that he wanted to be the superstar. They didn't like the fact that he was too close to the players. They didn't like the fact that he was going out with a built uh, reporter. They didn't like the fact that he went off skiing in the in the uh, in the break. They didn't like the fact that he would wear these dazzling clothes and strut around Munich saying, "Look at me." Um, now, I'm not saying that he, he's he's learned from that and he'll be different at Chelsea, but I can just see that that's not really what they want. They want someone who is a proper football manager who's just going to concentrate on the football and you know. I know he's a former Tottenham manager and that won't go down well with everybody at Chelsea. But I think he's the type of character that Chelsea need at this moment in time. Do, do you know what I, I, I think? I think that the owners should not go with what they think in theory or what they want because they did that with Graham Potter. I think they should just do what's best for Chelsea FC. And I, I liked the idea of... You know, because even through all the years, no one will ever have a go at Roman Abramovich. But the only thing that Chelsea fans, you can say, the one little thing that lacked is that you almost couldn't fall in love with the manager because before you did, he he went. So you want this long-term manager who's going to bring the trophies. That wasn't Graham Potter, didn't happen. You know, I know what you mean about Nagelsmann and I think he's got a side to him. He's still very young, isn't he? And he, and he wants to be a little bit different. But it's, it may not be the ideal how you want as an owner for your manager to be, but what's best for the football club that you've got. Mm. And I actually think Nagelsmann would be the best and would be better than Pochettino. Okay, I, well, I'd put Luis Enrique as number two, personally. Uh, listen, I'd it would be Enrique three. for me, but um, I think they've ruled him out. I think they've ruled him out because I think he's too competitive and he tells them what he actually really wants. And he, he's not, you know, he, he's not going to take... He's a Roman Abramovich type manager, isn't he? Yeah. Yeah. Um, and the thing about uh, the, uh, the the Chelsea managers gone by the years, the era of the Abramovich uh, reign was a bit like you know, dating on Tinder, wasn't it? I mean, it's you know, every five minutes it's someone different and you fall in love immediately and then, you know, it's ripped away from you straight away and you're back on the, the app again trying to find another replacement for it. It's a short-term <laughs> sugar rush. Nothing, no, nothing like long-term <laughs> harmony. Um, right. Um, Scott... And Crookie, thank That's you very a good much. Analogy. We could be talking about that all day, couldn't we? We probably shouldn't. Um, Arsenal against Southampton Friday night, live on Talksport. I'll be there with Leanne Sanderson. Uh, Saturday, Fulham against Leeds. Nigel Adley behind the mic at 12.30. Um, then game day, Liverpool Tot Nottingham Forest is live on Talksport too. The FA Cup semi final is at 4.45. Early start for Jim and the boys on Saturday and Sunday. Brighton against Manchester United is 4.30. We'll be there the whole weekend. We're looking forward to it. We cannot wait. All the football, all the time. Every match matters on Talksport, and there is a match every day. And they are huge. So make sure you're with us. Get our app, download it, swipe between the two stations. There's even matches on the app as well that aren't on the radio because we just got so many of them. So make sure you get it. Uh, boys, thank you very much. The Premier League All Access podcast is proud to be brought to you by Ladbrokes. The latest odds? We set them. Form guides? We've got them. Expert opinions? We share them. The best fans in the world deserve the best. Be match day ready before the whistle blows with Labrooks. Odds update on Talk Sport with Labrooks. Are you in? Let's go. Play at labrooks.com. 18 plus. Be gambleaware.org. T's and C's apply.